Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show that's coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to our good news segment. So all of you have heard me talk about what does it mean to feel like you have a front line of people that care about you, that are out there, that are making sure that we are getting the kind of critical care we need to get. What about those folks? You know, how are they making it through this? Critical care nurses in a state of crisis share the reality from the front lines. Joining me here today, Amanda Betancourt, AACN, American Association of Critical Care Nurses, is joining me and helping us understand what it means to be feeling so well and safe as our critical care nurses take on a challenge of a lifetime. Amanda, it's great to have you. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Um, you have set forth on an interesting life purpose and journey and calling. And this is a life purpose for you. You know, when we're talking about the American Association of Critical Care Nurses, we're talking about a scenario which I don't think any of us could have predicted 20 months ago. Um, but I know you're laughing because I didn't predict it. Uh, I know somebody may have, but it wasn't me. Uh, I want to ask you, what has this journey been like for you? And what is the call to action that hits your heart every day? Yeah, you know, thank you so much for for contextualizing our work this way. You know, as acute and critical care nurses, myself, I'm a pediatric critical care nurse. Uh, You know, we pride ourselves on being up for challenges like this. We've chosen to take care of the sickest patients in our healthcare system, whether those are babies, adults, or children. Um, and, you know, the COVID pandemic has been a challenge in multiple ways from its onset that, of course, we could have never predicted. And, you know, for the last 18 months, day in and day out, we've been bringing our best selves to this problem. And we've been providing the expert care that we know that we can to as many patients as possible. But what we're worried about now is that, you know, while we've been going along and doing this and bringing our best self and trying our best to deliver high quality care to patients, no matter what they need in our healthcare system today, we're basically at our breaking point. Um, We recently talked to our membership of critical care nurses, Mm -hmm. and we found that 92% of them uh, think the pandemic's depleted the nurses at their hospital and that they're planning to shorten their careers based on it. And more than half of the nurses that have been working in critical care are thinking of leaving the nursing profession entirely. So it's just uh, kind of a reflection of how demoralizing some of the things that we've had to see and do over the past year have been on us. And even though we love this job and we care so much about the health of our, our patients and our communities, we do have a breaking point and we might be very close 
to it. Um, I will tell you from the people that I know that are exactly in the field and the career path that you're talking about, uh, I honestly don't know how you all have gotten to the place that you've gotten to, you know, in being of so much service uh, and being there on the front lines. But I think sometimes that our pop culture, especially some of the media, um, shows that, you know, I even watch like The Good Doctor don't really get at the core of what's going on. And then the public thinks, oh my God, everything's all cool. We're going to make it through. I mean, this is, I think, one of the greatest misunderstanding and misrepresentations of reality and media that I've seen. This this really is yeah, a scenario I, you're talking about. I agree. And also, the media doesn't always portray the work of nurses accurately. <laughs> and I think until you've been a patient in the hospital yep. and had to see what a nurse does for you, keep you comfortable, make sure your wishes are known, make sure that you have the medication you need when you need it. Um, all of those things are really important functions of nursing that not everybody knows. And there are things that we love to do. And there's things that we're, those are things we're passionate about doing well. And I think what's been the hardest during this pandemic is that we're unable because of so many patients and not enough resources and so many of our colleagues that have already waved, waved the white flag and said, I surrender, I can't do it anymore. Now we can no longer give that care that we're really passionate about giving. And so hospital care cannot exist without nurses. Those beds, those ventilators, those places where patients receive care are just empty places if there's not a nurse there to actually provide the, the integrated care and treatments that nursing does. It's the center of a patient's hospital experience. So we're really worried. We're worried that this trend means that there aren't going to be nurses to take care of you when you have COVID and lives will be lost now. And similarly, as we move forward and end this, if we lose nurses at this pace, there's not going to be people to take care of you long after this is over. And we will lose lives because of it. Nurses are really important in the healthcare system. They're, way, they're beyond important than anything we can talk about. I know I got two total knee replacements in the middle of the pandemic. And I will tell you, the people at my bedsides were nurses. And what I saw them go through and how safe and clean and effective they made, not just the process, the procedure and the care for me, it is unprecedented. But let's talk about the Delta surge. And I am, I am in awe of how difficult it is to, to just present factual information to people and, and, and say to them, this is real. And I want to talk with you about this because I want to know what you're seeing in the Delta-driven surge. And I want to know what you're seeing that's different. I know in my state, Washington State, we have the first uh, death of a young child in our state. Now, people say, oh, that's just, no, it's not just one number. This is a young person. Can you talk about what you're seeing? And can you talk about what the pressure and the stress and the burnout is on all of you from this? Yeah, I mean, for I'll speak for myself and my colleagues and say that any life lost unnecessarily uh, is personal to us, is one too many. Um, and, and we 100%, um, you know, want to make sure that everyone survives this, make sure that everybody gets good care. What's different now is that First, it's largely preventable, especially the patients that we're seeing in the critical care unit. What mm -hmm. we know is nine out of 10 patients that are in the ICU have yet to be vaccinated. And so the best wow. way to avoid 
Did you say nine out of ten? Have yet to be vaccinated or not vaccinated. That's correct. In the ICU. Oh, my gosh. That is a big number. it, It is a big number. And, you know, being a patient with COVID in the ICU means you may have to say goodbye to your loved ones using an iPad. We may be the only one there holding your hand during some really difficult times in your life. We don't want that. Um, but at the same time, we realize that what we do normally is a thing that we do, and we don't go into the spotlight. We don't talk to the public about it. It's something we're proud to do, and the people who, like you, have experienced nursing uh, thank us and appreciate us. We've been voted the most trusted profession for the last 19 years in a row because people in some of their happiest and saddest moments in their lives rely on nurses. What's different now is we want to talk directly to the public about what we're seeing with our own eyes, what we've gone through in the past year, what it's meaning to our healthcare system. And we hope that people will trust us to give them honest information. Um, so we set up this website called hearusout.com where we're going to share our stories directly with the public, exactly what it's like to work in healthcare today in the critical care environment with COVID patients, with all kinds of patients, so that people can hear us and understand what we are going through. And if they're moved by that because they know a nurse or they've been affected by a nurse and they're willing to help others do things like wear masks, keep their distance and get vaccinated, we have information on our website that will help people have those conversations with others or help people make choices for themselves around vaccination. But we've never done that before. And so we're doing it now because we're worried about the future of our healthcare system. We want to give excellent care to you and your loved ones, no matter what they need from us going forward, COVID or not. But we're at our breaking point, And if we continue this way, there just simply aren't going to be enough nurses to do that. Um, and can we just get really clear about why you're here today, uh, Amanda, and what the message is today? There are many people that are going on with their life as if this is all over and done. And I say that because as I go out in the world, I wear a mask. Uh, I'm almost on the verge of having my team wear masks again here, um, only because of what we're seeing. And, you know, clearly in my state, we have some mandates where, you know, there are some restrictions. We walk out of our office suite here and we go into the general hallway and we wear masks. We go to the, the bathroom and we wear masks. Um, we need to present, and I hope you can help me here now. We need to talk about the reality that you all are seeing because you are the ones that are seeing it and it's real. It's real. We're talking about ICUs and death increase in 43 states. Please talk to our audience about the reality of this and what you would like to see done. Yeah, the reality of COVID is that it kills, the death is difficult, lonely, and tragically preventable. We've witnessed hundreds of thousands of deaths from COVID. So absolutely, none of us feel that this is over. But what we want people to hear is that our individual actions can save lives mm-hmm. and save our healthcare system today. Yeah. Today, the choices we make about masking, getting vaccinated, keeping a distance and sharing our stories with others. Maybe another another person hasn't heard this message, but to share it with another person might help that person save their community. So our individual actions matter. So we cannot, nurses cannot stop this alone. So we're asking for the public's help, which is not something that we've done before, but we really feel like we need allies in this fight. 
And so as much as people can join with us to share the truth about COVID, to take individual actions that will help save their lives, their community's lives, and our healthcare system, the better off we're all going to be now and when this is eventually over. You know, I know you've got to run off. Um, would you mind please telling people today how they can find out more information and how they can get aware and informed? And Amanda, thank you so much. Thank you all. Thank you all for being on those front lines and doing a superb job given the situation. Thank you so much. And again, thank you for the opportunity to share. What we want people to do is go to our website, hearusout.com, where you can hear us out about what we're seeing and what you can do to help. And we really need everybody's help in getting us through this pandemic because we just can't afford to lose any more nurses. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more. Without nurses, we do not have health care. End of the story. Thank you so much, Amanda. Um, please, many blessings to you and your journey. Thank you very much. All right, let's take a short break. We'll be right back. You're driven, and it totally shows. Your career is taking off. You're killing it in the mom game. But did your health needs make it on the plate this week? Tune in to Boss Up Babes, where Carissa Adkins helps babes show up, boss up, and thrive every second and fourth Tuesday at 1230 p.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Become the boss babe you were meant to be. To sign up for one of Carissa's group coaching programs, visit 365DailyHustle.com. Have you heard about shifting the collective vibration and consciousness on the planet? Join me, Kimberly Barrett, on the Sharing Love and Light show every first and third Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern at TransformationTalkRadio.com to explore the depth of vibration and consciousness on our planet and learn how you can shine your love and light. To learn more, visit SharingLoveAndLightShow.com. You know, marriage is not always easy, but skills that improve communication go a long way. Tune in to The Relationship Rehab Show, Recovering Happiness in Your Love with Nancy Landrum and Dr. Pat each month on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Nancy is an author and teacher empowering couples to create and sustain loving marriages. Learn to listen, speak, and handle conflict with respect so your love can flourish. To learn more about Nancy and her work, visit NancyLandrum.com. Are you ready to invest in your best self? Join Sabrina Wright as she shares tools for creating joy and balance in your life every single day. Sabrina is here to help you become your greatest advocate and empower you to make decisions that will help you live your best life. The Live the Good Life Show, connecting your physical and spiritual self every second Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Find Sabrina at the right, W-R-I-G-H-T, balance.com. everybody. Welcome. What a great good news segment we have for you. Alex Seidel joining me here today. Chef and owner, James Beard Foundation, Best Chef Award recipient is joining me here today. Before we get into the topic, 
you know, Alex, I want to thank you for everything you do, your contribution, you know, how you help all of us understand, you know, food is more than just something we put in our mouths. It's something so much more. Uh, and I want to thank you for all the work that you've done um, uh, and bringing today's show, which I am so interested to talk with you about. We're going to talk about why beef plays an important role in sustainable eating. You know, tell me, tell me this. As a chef, you're out in the world. You're a chef, you're owner, you are somebody that manages a restaurant. Why is this topic? What is it about beef that is absolutely so important to you and to the people listening today to know? Well, first off, thank you for the kind words and introduction. I really appreciate that. Um, you know, I started cooking, washing dishes 34 years ago in this industry. And uh, in becoming a chef, um, I've certainly been very well supported by our communities. And uh, as a chef, I take a very big responsibility in making sure that we give back to the community uh, through pop proper education, uh, providing ingredients that they can trust. Um, you know, our world is, our country is in a place where food is truly medicine. And if we can educate people mm -hmm. to eat the proper way, uh, we're going to have a healthier place. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, three, 360 degrees is what I like to talk about. And what that means is going full circle um, and talking about what has been sort of the conversation around beef as we have looked at it, as we've looked at the, you know, sustainability in the world. And this is an important conversation for you. So my question is, you know, sustainability. You, it is a topic, a hot one for chefs and diners. Tell me about the underpinnings of this. Well, sustainability is a word that gets thrown around quite yeah. a bit, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, for me, I really like to think about the beef industry as being regenerative and taking care of the people and planet. And that's really what sustainability means to me as a chef. Uh, taking care of our communities, providing food that nourishes them. Uh, but doesn't take away from the planet. And, you know, I've, I've been eating beef my whole life and it's certainly a part of my, my, my diet. I wouldn't say every day, but probably every week. And, you know, the moder uh, the key to success in any 360 evolution is moderation. Moderation mm -hmm. is the key to many things, right? And beef is certainly a, a healthy, uh, an option that any serving of lean beef provides essential nutrients, protein, zinc, iron, B vitamins, and just a three ounce portion, uh, you're talking about 170 calories. So in moderation, beef is a great uh, option for your diet. It's a great way to get those uh, nutrients, vitamins, and, and protein mm -hmm. that we all need. Yeah. I, I want to just really talk with you again about the conversation that we are bringing to the forefront today. And the reason that I love bringing this to the forefront is because you're right about the word sustainability. You know, a number of years ago, I used to go to all of the green events and I wish we were doing more of them and talk about the 50 shades of green. And, you know, mm -hmm. most of the time I, I got people that cheered and people that booed because they, they didn't quite understand why can't we just do it all. And I think mm -hmm. that what you're talking about is moderation and balance and harmony 
And, you know, if I watched you prepare a beautiful meal, it would be harmonious. It would be beautiful. And that's the conversation we're having here today, isn't it? To really look at this from the perspective of here it is, it's been here. And how does it fit in the harmony of the world and the universe? Well, I think if you look at um, cattle production from the early 1900s till today, uh, a lot has changed in the methodology, uh, the efficiencies in raising animals. If you, if you look at a steer from the early 1900s, it's a completely different shape. It's a completely different build. Um, we've been able to, you know, the reason why the beef industry has grown in such sustainable ways is because there's so many family farms um, that are producing our, our beef today. I mean, 90% of the beef raised in America is raised by families. And when you have families raising products for the community, they want to take care of it and they want mm-hmm. to do it in the best possible way in the most efficient way Because beyond people and planet. It still has to make profit, right? It still mm-hmm. has to support these families uh, that are raising our food so they can continue to do that as our populations continue to grow and urban areas are getting bigger. Yeah, we run it. What we run into is a scenario around all of this, which has more and more and less and less, you know, to do with, you know, the energy of things and the understanding of things. And I think, Alex, what you're bringing forward in the conversation is, look, let's take a look at what's going on here. It's so important, sustainability to chefs and diners. And, you know, there's a contribution that is made here. Let's talk about the contribution that sustainable eating has, because I think that, you know, you said it before, I think that there are so many layers to this and misunderstanding over time. It's so great to have a conversation with you and bring a new perspective to it. Well, one of the things that I've noticed in my restaurants, and this dates back, fruition is going to be 15 years old here coming up. And so, you know, I've, I've been able to see a huge evolution in how the consumer eats as well. I'm included in this when I talk about it. You know, people love to come into restaurants and they want to expect big portions uh, and value perception, correct? So, you know, I was that guy that would order the 16 ounce strip loin and finish it by myself. And sometimes it hurt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, my family. Now, when we go buy a steak for ourselves, we typically buy it within one or two days of using it. We know what day we're going to cook it on. We know how much we're going to eat. So typically our family of four, I've got a a 14 year old and 11 year old. I've been talking to them about moderate portioning and eating what you make and not um, having big eyes without understanding what, what is healthy for you to digest. Mm-hmm. And now we share that uh, 16 ounce steak with the four of us, you know, and sometimes if there's leftovers, we're not going to throw that away. We can easily mm-hmm. take a, a cooked steak and make steak tacos the next day oh, yeah. or take a brisket and make chili the next day. So for me, it's about utilization and making sure that we don't want to raise too much beef that we can't consume. Right. So it's right. educating our consumers to you know, eat less, purchase less so that we are doing right by raising beef in this country. 
Yeah, I have to tell you, I love the website. Can we talk about the website and the information on here for a minute? And let's make sure everybody has the website. First of all, congratulations on bringing a level of understanding through both information, very, very great factual information, but also demonstrating, also showing us. Um, You have an infographic that I downloaded from the site. You know, that is just amazing fact checking short version of what's there. Can you talk to us? Give us the website for this, because, boy, I'll tell you, it really does tell a story. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think the problem that we have sometimes is um, it's easy to take a conclusion from a short clip of a conversation. Yeah. With a friend. <laughs> yeah. And then the rumor mill starts and it becomes, oh, my gosh, what's going on here? The earth is ending. But. If you go to beefitswhatsfordinner.com, it's a really valuable site. It's one that I use. It's one that I share with my chefs because there's such great information on there, not just about how beef is raised and the sustainability of it, but recipes, uh, talks about different cuts um, because, you know, people to enjoy beef, there's over 40 cuts, you know, and there's grass fed and there's corn fed and there's so much options throughout the beef industry. But it's being aware and having the kind of conversation with your butcher about how to cook that piece of meat so it's going to be at its best for you. Yeah. And, you know, by the way, the kind of information you're also providing, talking about emissions, talking about the solution, giving, you know, giving numbers that people can understand, uh, and also talking about the way the industry has changed. It really brings a new light. It really, as you say, I think on the website, rethink the ranch. And, you know, when I started to look at what that looks like, I was fascinated by it, you know, fascinated by how far you all have gone and, Mm -hmm. you know, changing the way things are done and informing us about what the importance is, what can be done. It's Mm -hmm. so very important that this message and the education of it comes out so that people can understand exactly the whole picture of it. And I think you've done a great job in doing that. Thank you so much. Yes. You know, it's, uh, it's a very complicated conversation. It can be, Uh Um, but I think again, Going to that website, beefitswhatsfordinner.com, mm-hmm. getting a little bit of your own personal information and asking some of your own personal questions is really the way to inform yourself and in making the right decisions for you and your family. I love it. I want to thank, you know, look, thank you so much for all that you're doing. And you're right. This is a very short clip. We could have spent an hour talking about everything that's on the site, including recipes. And, you know, first and foremost, yeah, yeah, just thank you for putting out such great factual information and making it so visually understanding. It really makes a difference to people these days. And I want to thank you for doing that. One last question. What is your personal message? What do you want to leave us with today? You know, first off, I really want to thank you for giving me a platform to share the information. You know, being in the Denver community, uh, my voice is sometimes, I can only do so much for Colorado, but to be able to share this message um, with you and your, your listeners today, I would leave people with one thing. Ask questions, don't listen to answers. Awesome. Thank you so much. Hey, everybody, let's take a short break. We'll be right back. I'm Mark Anthony, the psychic lawyer and co-host of The Psychic and the Doc. 
My new book, The Afterlife Frequency, comes out October 5th. I'll be a keynote speaker at the International Association for Near-Death Studies, IAN's 2021 online conference, September 1st through the 5th. Register by August 12th and get the early bird discount. Visit IANDS.org. Who taught you or your kids how to handle stress? That's right, no one. I'm combat veteran Deb Lewis, and I'm on a mission to change that. My new children's book, Why is Pono Not Pono Today, is set in Hawaii. Lovable characters, Pono the Bull and his friend Kuleana, show us how a stressful situation ends happily. Look closer to reveal powerful ways to handle all types of stress. Start loving your stress-filled life today. Go to mentallytoughwomen.com. Are you ready to get big and live your life out loud? Tune in to Get Big Out Loud Radio, exploring life through the lens of curiosity and compassion. With me, Carrie Knudsen, joining Dr. Pat live every second Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. I will offer ideas to transform what you are thinking into conscious action. If you want to get big and live your life out loud, visit me at KnudsenSpeaks.com. Even though your home base is one Enneagram type, you have characteristics of all the types. Tune in to Enneagram Conversations with Renee Siegel the second and fourth Monday of each month at 4 p.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Learn how you can unlock your unlimited potential. Visit YouArePurePotential.com for more about Renee and her work. That's the letter U, the letter R, PurePotential.com. Hey, everybody. How often have you heard me talk about small businesses over the past 22 months? And you know, the last time I did it was back in 07, 08, and 09. And today, I'm gonna get a little help from Bill Burnell joining me here today, co-founder of Independent We Stand. What is it about small businesses that you heard me talk about this week? What can we do to shift our mindset? What can we do to support local? What can we do dot? dot dot bill it's great to have you hey you know we've got some great tips for your listeners to support local businesses to make a real impact in their community and the first thing to do is tell the world you're ready to buy local yeah visit our website at independentwestand.org and you can actually learn more about why it's important to support locally owned businesses and you can take a pledge to buy local and then share it on social media to make sure all your friends and families and coworkers and, and neighbors are going to do the same thing it's really important to take care of these businesses. They're still struggling a bit because of COVID. And, uh, you know, we lost a lot of businesses, almost 200,000 businesses during COVID. Let's not do that anymore. Let's help these small businesses. In addition, we have a huge contest going on right now called the America's Main Street Contest. I'm actually standing in Sykesville, Maryland, downtown Sykesville, on their Main Street. And they won the contest in 2020. And there's a $25,000 grand prize. And what they decided to do with their money oops, actually help merchants in town. There are about 40-plus merchants here survive COVID, and not one business closed. In mm. fact, they added two businesses. So this is a huge, huge contest. In fact, Linden, Washington, just north of you guys, won in 2016. And uh, that's a great story up there. I think it's the Raspberry Capital of the World. 
Um, and downtown Lynn has won that. So it's a big contest. All I have to do is go to the website. You'll see a huge banner that says America's Main Street Contest and nominate your favorite Main Street. I know Washington State has a wonderful Main Street program. That's probably a great place to look to see if you have one in your backyard. Yeah. I think the worst thing that any of us can experience living in, you know, your city that, you know, you live in is to watch the businesses that have been there for you day in and day out and to watch them really um, struggle to the point of actually vaporizing. And that's a term we're using that we want to stop that. We want to eradicate businesses going out of business. And what you're doing in support of local businesses is actually stellar. It's amazing. First of all, let me ask you about this because some people think they're supporting independent businesses. And yet at the same time, we don't know, the average person doesn't know how to go about it. And let's talk about what people can do. Let's talk about the tips. Let's talk about the action. What is the call to action here, Bill? There's a reason that you're standing in the street right now doing this interview. What do you want to bring to light here? Well, I think the important thing is to shift your mindset. I think consumers need to think about these local businesses. Don't automatically go to that big box store, that national chain, or God forbid, shop from Amazon. Uh, Think about those local businesses. Even really a small shift in the way you shop can have a huge impact. Uh, it's estimated that if every family in America just shifted $10 more to local businesses a month for 12 months, about $9.3 billion would be returned to local communities. And that's because those businesses recirculate much more uh, money in the local community, and that means you know better roads, better schools, uh, higher pay for first responders. And, uh, you can make a real impact. You know, uh, People, it's easy. they want to do something with their hard-earned dollars these days, and if they buy local, they can make sure their community is taken I mean, we've been hard hit. I mean, it's very clear to those of us that are small businesses like myself, you know, we really understand how hard a a company gets hit. And I think that, you know, by having a campaign like you have, we can shed a level of awareness as well. And you're right about shifting mindsets. You, You know, we've gone through this time after time again to save local businesses here in the Western Washington area. From a, a, a wide array of reasons, especially in 2007, 8, 9, and 10. You know, this is my 18th year. So I've seen a few things uh, and locally. And what you're talking about now is a new level of awareness because here, here's the deal. It's as if we see a business open and we think they're doing okay. And what we don't know behind the scenes is more now more than ever, these local businesses need our help. Is that correct assessment to make? Yeah. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Small business owners are a tough bunch, and, you know, these are folks that turn on the lights in the morning, turn them off at night. They've been working all day, and now they're going to go balance the books, and some marketing expert said, you know what, you need to do a Facebook post. Um, they struggle. You know, margins are really small, uh, especially nowadays in certain um, uh, areas like restaurants, and, and uh, not only is it hard to find help right now, but it's hard to keep a business open. So we need to do what we can to help these wonderful mom-and-pop shops uh, keep them in business. Simple as that. Find them, support them, buy local. You know, one of the things, too, is, you know, as we look at this, what you're doing in this conversation interview is to let people know that there is a call to action here. You know, there is a call to action. You know, a small dollar amount can make a big difference. Um, Absolutely. Give us some tips on how to create this change, this transformation, because... 
people love tips. That's a call to action we could talk about on this show, and our audience will go and they will do it. They will support local. Yeah. Well, the first thing I can do is go to independentlystand.org. That's .org, not .com. And there's a great section where you can essentially learn about where your dollar goes and how it's spent. And the other thing is we make it easy to take that pledge that I talked about. You can take a pledge to buy local, share it with all your friends and family on social media, make them think about supporting local businesses. The more people we have doing that, the better it's going to be for all these businesses who are really struggling with COVID. What, can I ask you this question? I know you've got to run between interviews, but I, I want to ask you personally, as you're deeply involved in this, and this is passion for you, and it's, it goes beyond sort of a marketing campaign. I, I would love to know what's in your heart. You know, what is in your heart? What has hit your heart the hardest as you become who you are and you do what you do? Well, I, I mean, I've, I've worked with small businesses for over 25, uh, 30 years. And, you know, when you talk to these folks, they're living the American dream. They've decided to take an idea, a concept, start from scratch to build small businesses. And these, these businesses often become multi-generational uh, and really impact their local communities. They have so much more invested in the local community. They may buy, you know, the uniforms for the local Little League team or the owner may serve on the school board. Um, that kind of uh, vested interest in the community goes a long way, but they can't do it without our support. So it's extremely important to support these local owned businesses. Um, one last question for you, because I know that you've got to run. I know you're doing so many of these. Um, when you look ahead for a year, let's take a trip down the road of 12 months from now. What's your highest vision for what you're doing and what would you like to see change in the world of small businesses? I think, um, you know, it's, it's, it's even hard to mention this in the same uh, mm -hmm. sentence, but the pandemic was a little bit of, of a silver lining for small businesses because people began to realize very early on, and there was a ton of media attention to it, that these small businesses may not um, survive. And what our goal in the next few years is to remind excuse me, remind the public over and over again, you know, consumers are a finicky bunch. They may be all about supporting locally owned businesses, but the key and the challenge will be to keep them thinking, uh, you know, years down the road that this is uh, an important thing to do. You know, we've got um, small business um, um, can sign up on the website. So if you're a small business owner, you can sign up on our website, become a member of Independent We Stand. And thanks to sponsors like Steel, they actually offer a full suite of marketing materials that can mm. help small businesses build their local brands and stand out from the big box stores and the national chains. And the best part is it's absolutely free. All they need to go mm -hmm. do is independentlystand.org and sign up for a business membership. I love it. Thank you so much for all that you're doing. I know you're heading off. Thank you so much for remembering us. You know, remembering small businesses, because I think, you know, during the pandemic and even today as we're speaking, everybody thinks it's all good. And small businesses are really not there yet. They are working so hard, the people that are running them. Thank you for reminding us that we're not invisible, that we do matter. Hey, it's been a pleasure to speak with you. All right, everybody, let's take a short break. Please support local. We'll be right back. The truth is funny. Shift happens with monthly guest host Karen Benton. 
Tune in for powerful conversations about health and wellness. Karen brings unique insights rich with humor and science to her discussions with experts in medicine, movement, psychology, spirituality, and so much more. Don't miss Karen on The Truth is Funny every third Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. For more information about Karen, visit KarenBetton.com. Your inspiration all day on TransformationTalkRadio.com. If you're a mom, you're probably hard-pressed to think of things you wouldn't do for your child's well-being. What if I told you the greatest thing you could do for your kid's development is focus on your own development? When you work on yourself, you begin to show up better for the people you love. Tune into Imperfect Momming with Alicia Lyons on your favorite podcast platforms. Learn more about me at alishalyons.com. A-L-Y-S-I-A-L-Y-O-N-S.com. Hi, I'm Mary Jane Mack, and I'm excited to tell you about the latest technology. It is new to this country, and it's just amazing. It's out of Germany. The Healy is state-of-the-art technology for improving and changing the body vibration. I have more information about the Healy on my website, maryjanemack.com, or you can call the office at 888-777-4232. We're back in that jazz mood, aren't we? I don't know. What happened to the rap music, Benny? So, oh my gosh. There you go. Thank you, Benny. I like it. You're welcome. I'm going to play that in my car. Boy, I got to have me some baked something now. (laughs) I'm telling you. everybody welcome welcome to our good news segment you know today i love doing these segments for a lot of reasons and you all love them as well there's so much information that we get to share with you and joining me here today dr ian thompson texas urology group is here to talk with us about what we have done to advance the conversation on prostate cancer awareness and that is this month but more importantly we're going to learn about what is important in early detection and what has changed? Uh, Dr. Thompson, thank you so much for joining us here today. You know, we're living in a world where it's so hard to keep up with the, all the great work you all are doing. And especially in this particular arena, you know, I know personally in my family, I understand the importance of it. Um, tell me from your perspective, when you think about your body of work and what you're doing, what excites you most? Well, thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity being here today in collaboration with Boston Scientific to discuss this important topic of regular screening um, and just more awareness about prostate cancer. I think the thing that excites me the most is the opportunity for innovation, Mm. um, just to see where we talk about basic screening, such as a PSA blood test. We take that for granted, but really that didn't become widely available until the early 1990s, maybe late 80s. And so, and Things that have changed just even from when I was in training to now, um, more options come on um, every year for for patients, um, and so so that's what's really exciting, um, and and being able to participate and being able to push push uh, forward and helping mm. um, in this work. So, 
Um, tell us about, you know, I mean, early detection, early detection, all of us are so aware of that. You know, those two words right there, early detection, because it's a game changer in so many areas, but it certainly is a game changer for common cancer and in treatment options for men. But let's talk about early detection and what the innovation around this that you all are bringing forward. Yeah. So the the importance of early detection um, comes down to the fact that when we find prostate cancer that's localized or confined to the prostate, we have a lot of options um, from um, just treating it with surgery where you remove the prostate to radiation um, to treat it with radiation. Or sometimes we find these low risk prostate cancers that are maybe slow growing and may never pose a a, a risk to the man's uh, health. And so we can do something called active surveillance. Um, so to come back to the importance of early detection, um, and it's really that, that we have all the options on the table. Once things progress beyond that, then you start taking options off the table for when it comes to, to for treatment of for the patient. Um, and so that's where it really starts in conversations like this to bring the awareness of the importance of screening for prostate cancer. Mm. Um, you know, I could talk about so many different areas of this, um, but I want to talk about what we're looking at if detected early, proactively, you know, survival rates. I want to talk about, you know, what you've discovered and, you know, also for men undergoing prostate cancer radiation, there's also innovations here. Can you talk about that? Yes. Um, so from a prognosis standpoint, um, the vast majority, you know, nearly 100% of men that are diagnosed with clinically localized prostate cancer to the prostate, about 100% survival rate within the first five, year, for five years from diagnosis. Um, so uh, that, that's reassuring and really gives us uh, um, good information as far as the, the importance of screening. Now, when we talk about some of the side effects, so... Mm-hmm. The side effects for surgery can include potentially urinary leakage, um, erectile dysfunction. When it comes to radiation, you can have some urinary symptoms after that, but you can also have some toxicity erect to the, to the rectum and some side effects um, uh, to the rectum itself. And so one of the newer tools that we have um, available to us is this space or hydrogel, which is a minimally invasive procedure where we can create a, a level of cushion, a new distance between the prostate and the rectum that doesn't normally exist to really mitigate and reduce the effect of the radiation uh, to the rectum itself. And this procedure is something that usually takes maybe 20 minutes, most often done in the urologist's office. or um, And then they can move on with their normal daily activities later that day and the next day. So minimal impact on the patient doing the procedure but has long-lasting um, effects on reducing the potential side effects of radiation. You know, I, I, I think that for some of us that have gone through and have seen family members affected by prostate cancer and have watched that journey, I think all of us are um, acutely aware of what that looks like. Certainly, we're not the person that goes through um, the, this particular treatment, but we certainly know our loved ones. And I wanted to ask you specifically, what is it that you all are working on 
that you think is going to change the landscape of this for men. And I also think it's important to let folks know how they can find out exactly more about what we're talking about here today. What I mean, I think the, the most important that will change um, the landscape is just what we're doing today, mm-hmm. having, the converse, having the conversation so that I don't see a man in my clinic mm-hmm. that comes in for, for new diagnosis and it's, it's, you know, the cat's out of the bag, but it is spread throughout the body. Those are really tough conversations. Mm-hmm. And so if we come to a point where we say, hey, it's September, let's talk about this. Um, when it's at the dinner table, you know, and, and, and for the ladies out there to say, for the, the loved ones, the, uh, the men in their life, um, to say, hey, mm-hmm. have you gotten this checked? That's yeah. going to change things. So we don't allow that, you know, where it gets far. We find it early and we have all the tools. We know, we know what to do. We know how to take care of it. Mm-hmm. And not only do we know how to take care of it from a cancer, you know, treatment standpoint, but now we have these really neat tools that can help us reduce the potential side effects, which is really this, some of the scary thing for patients thinking, what's this going to do to me long term? Right. Can I get back to normal? Right. How do we treat it? And this just be a little hiccup, a little bump in the road and get down to a point where, oh, remember that time you had prostate cancer? Oh, now I forgot about that. I'm back to normal. Right. That, that's what I, that's what I think is really cool. If we talk, talk about it and get, get, find it early. Yeah. One of the things I love, and I want to get back to this, Dr. Thompson, real quick, if we could. Um, one of the things I love talking about, you know, really been an advocate and, uh, and so involved in, you know, cancer that affects women. But here, this particular thing, this has the same thing in common. And that is, what do we do to mitigate the effects? What do we do? What are we doing to mitigate the effects of a treatment? And that's also part of this. It's one thing to go through the treatment and be early detection. Now you're in the middle of the treatment and there are effects of it. Some people call them side effects, but you are you all are also engaged in mitigating some of those side effects, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. Because because it's really important because you have to take the patient as a whole. You can't just look at just the cancer, you know, because that's, that's, you know, that's, that's I'm going to say, not going to say too objective, but it's because you have to take into account that, that quality of life. We're not just all about mm-hmm. quantity, but we have to talk about the importance of quality of life as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah. And, yeah. And, talk about the hydrogel though, for a minute too. Am I, did I yeah, get that right? Yeah. Because I, I think yes. this is one of these things that for me, when I look at some of the innovations and certainly we're really on top of the survival rate, now we're thinking about the quality of life of somebody that is actually going through this. And you know what you all have come to the forefront to create is something that not only helps emotionally, but also physically, right? Yeah. Um so the space or gel, like I said, it's just a, it's a short procedure, um, and it's and it's designed to stay where it is and where you place it and in the body for the right amount of time. I mean, normally when people when when men undergo radiation, the radiation can be maybe eight not eight nine weeks in duration. Within six months of placement of this hydrogel, the body breaks it down and reabsorbs it. So long-term, 
there shouldn't be, you won't have it there. It gives the space between the, that rectum and the prostate um, and that extra cushion that the radiation oncologist can really uh, hone in and treat the entire prostate and worry less about the effects to the rectum because of mm. that it increased distance between the prostate and the rectum. Wow. How do people find out more about this? Because, you know, what we're talking about here is getting information education so that people can understand what are the questions to ask for. And that's part of, I think that's why you're doing these, these, these interviews like this is because, you know, a lot of times patients or the loved ones of patients or the caretakers of patients, they don't know they're warriors in the field and they don't even know the questions to ask. This would be one of those questions to ask your doctor about, right? Correct. Correct. Um, so if they want to learn more about the space or technology, that's um, they can go to spaceor.com, S-P-A-C-E-O-A-R.com. They want to learn more about prostate cancer in general. Um, the American Cancer Society is a great place, cancer.org, the American Urologic Association. Those are great resources. If someone is diagnosed with prostate cancer and they are meeting with a radiation oncologist to discuss radiation as an option for treatment, that's a great place to, to bring this topic up for conversation to say, hey, if I am going to do radiation, what about space war? Yeah. And they can discuss that further with their doctor. Yeah. And I love what you've presented on the website because you're giving you're giving a lot of information about what Spacer is. And you're also giving information about the questions to ask. Um, and, you know, and thank you for putting such a, absolutely incredible material together. You know, I took a look at your patient education brochure and I'm telling you the way you've presented this and how you've presented this um, and asking and answering questions questions about this. I, I think it just it's such a refreshing relief for people that are going through this journey. And you really broke it down in terms of a layperson understands this. And this is really for me, when I take a look at something like this and the quality of the material and the information you're providing, it really does open up a new conversation for both the the gentleman that is going through this and their loved ones. And I think that's what we're talking about. So thank you for doing such a great job on putting all this together. Uh, thank you, Dr. Thompson, for all of this. Yeah. I mean, there's so much thank, good thank information on the website. I love it. But the brochure itself, for me, it was like, oh, my God, I've got to get this to a friend of mine right now. So thank you for all of that. Thank I want to ask you one last question. I'd love to know your personal message. I'd love to know, given everything you know and these interviews you're doing back to back, I know you got to run. What's your personal message? What do you want to leave us with here today? I just want to say, um, have the conversation yeah. um, with your loved ones, um, for, for those important men in your life um, mm. that you care about. Make sure they're doing, and it's not just prostate cancer, because there are other things that men are at risk of developing, you know, making sure they're getting their colonoscopies, doing all the stuff that doesn't sound like fun. Just go. Um, life is about showing up. Show up. Have the conversation. Talk to your doctor. Hey, am I doing all the things I need to be doing? Mm -hmm. um, and part of that is um, men that benefit when it comes to prostate cancer, men between 55 and 69 years of age are the ones that benefit the most from prostate mm -hmm. cancer screening. So if you are a man and you fall in that age bracket, or you know somebody, a guy that falls in that age range, make sure they're getting checked or at least discussing 
the, the pros and cons about getting checked. Just have the conversation. So I think that's the message. Wow. Thank you so much. I know you've got to run. Thank you for your contribution. And again, thank you for doing such a stellar job at presenting information that can change people's lives. Thank you so much for that, doctor. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Mm -hmm. Everybody out there, I want to make sure you know that when we're talking about here, you're going to be able to find, please go to the website, everyone. Just look at space or it's space oar.com space or Tons of information. And you know what we like to say? Pay it forward. Pass it on. We'll see you in a few. We'll be right back. 